Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you're hungry for beautiful food, great grill marks, remarkable wine, and some juicy conversation, well, then you won't want to miss this show. You've tuned in to the hippest and the hottest and the coolest culinary conversation on the radio, and I welcome you to my kitchen. Whether you love to cook or just love to eat, we can definitely be friends, and you are bound to find something you'll love on this show. I cover everything having to do with mouth-watering commentary, plus health and wellness, travel, tech, wine, mixology, and more. And you can always visit chefjamie.com where I'm serving up seconds. You'll find my features and forums, recipes, and cooking videos. And you can take your cooking skills to the next level by listening to my tasty podcasts on iTunes if you happen to have missed a show under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. This show is your destination for delicious conversation, and there are no reservations needed. We are no doubt knee-deep in summer, right, with a heat wave spreading across this country that doesn't seem to want to end. And so I think a grilled pizza party is the perfect way to get your friends or guests or even the kids involved in dinner. You very simply prepare the pizza dough the day before, or for a shortcut, you can purchase prepared pizza dough from your local pizzeria, an Italian market, even uh, your local supermarket or a, a favorite restaurant, and you have each person stretch their own dough. And you don't have to worry because they don't have to be perfectly round pizzas. They're supposed to be rustic. Then you throw the dough onto the grill, you top it with good cheese and fabulous toppings, and you grill away. And really, is there a better blank canvas for perfect farmer's market produce than crispy grilled pizza? I think not. Now, why grill pizza, you ask? Because grilling pizza isn't just an alternate method for when you don't want to heat up the house, i.e. turn on your oven, although that is a really great side benefit. The best pizza is made in the hottest oven possible, right? Usually called a deck oven and even better, a wood-fired oven. But since your grill gets so much hotter than the oven in your kitchen, it really is the best instrument for making terrific pizza at home. Plus, your kitchen is not heated up by the oven and a blazingly hot grill means that you get really crispy bites and those delicious charred spots on the bottom of the crust. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Now, successful grilled pizza belongs to the organized. So when you grill pizza, you need to have everything ready to go. And there's some sort of miracle really in the prep. So get all of your ingredients, the toppings, the sauce, the cheese together, and then start to plan for the dough, which turns into the crust. Now, I love really thin crust pizza, the Neapolitan style, like wafer thin. But I do leave my crusts slightly thicker when I'm grilling because 
The pizza stays nicely chewy with a crisp crust that way. And it does stay on the grill long enough that it will create a crust on the exterior of the dough, but still have that just slightly doughy quality inside, which I find absolutely delectable. And if you do make the crust or the dough too thin for the grill, it tends to sag through the grates. Now, I do cook my pizzas directly on the grates. I like the char. I like the smoky flavor that's imparted from the grill throughout the pizza. Um, However you do it, though, the deck is stacked for success. And the sun is shining and you've got a bounty of delicious ingredients at your fingertips. Just go straight to your fridge and clean it out. I mean, everything belongs on a pizza and there's probably rosé in the fridge or an ice cold IPA in the cooler. So why not have a happy summer, right? Grill pizza. Now my grilled pizza recipe is posted at chefjamie.com, but let me talk you through a bit of it. So when it comes to grilling pizza for let's say tonight or this week, you want to, of course, consider the pizza dough first uh, because that will take the most time to either make or plan, albeit it doesn't take much time to throw together pizza dough in a food processor. My dough comes together really simply and I start with active dry yeast and a little bit of granulated sugar to feed the yeast and some warm water, then all-purpose flour, salt, and good quality olive oil. And it processes in the food processor And then I like to leave it and let the dough rise in a warm place um, in my kitchen until it's doubled in size, which takes about an hour or so. Then you can refrigerate it. You could use it same day, next day, few days later, really. Now, if you're short on time, as I said, go to your favorite pizza joint, go to the Italian restaurant down the block, go to your best grocery store and buy pizza dough already made and you're ready to go. Now, when it comes to the toppings. You could make a homemade sauce or you could buy best quality store-bought. I like good olive oil for brushing the dough before anything goes down on it and before it goes on the grill. I happen to love Fontina cheese because it's a great melter and I'll often mix it with mozzarella or a combination of mozzarella and Parmesan and Romano with Fontina. That's the ultimate. And then when it comes to the toppings, you could slice heirloom tomatoes or use cherry tomatoes cut in half. You could grill veggies or use them raw and thinly shaved. You could do fresh uh, prosciutto or smoked sausage, pepperoni, pesto, pineapple, basil, crumbled goat cheese, red pepper flakes, you name it, it belongs there. And once you're ready to grill, you'll fire up your backyard barbecue. And by the way, you could do this on a stovetop grill as well. And you cut the pizza dough, depending upon its size, into pieces. Then you roll each ball of dough on a a floured work surface, and then you stretch. That's the fun of it. Everybody gets to make their own. You'll brush the dough with olive oil on both sides, and you'll lay that pizza round over the hot grates and within seconds grill marks will appear takes a minute or two on one side depending upon the heat of your grill then turn the dough over and move it to the coolest part of the grill so that you can then top it with sauce and cheese and toppings and be sure to rotate the pizza frequently close the lid open it make sure you get some heat in there so that the cheese is all bubbly and delicious and there you have it grilled pizza 
just in time to satiate your appetite. Once again, everything you need to know about Grilling Pizza 101 is posted at chefjamie.com. Now it's time for some food news this week. In a first-of-its-kind law for any major American city, did you hear that Seattle has instituted a ban on plastic straws? The ordinance went into effect last week, and it prohibits restaurants and delis, coffee shops, food trucks, grocery stores from providing the plastic item to customers. Now, the ban carries a $250 fine, and supposedly uh, the uh, city officials are doing some educating to allow businesses uh, to be compliant, of course. But on a larger scale, Starbucks came out this past week saying that they're eliminating plastic straws globally by the year 2020. So the coffee shop giant plans to use recyclable strawless lids. They also have an alternative material straw option in effect, and it's in the works for more than 28,000 stores around the world, which means that this move by Starbucks stores will eliminate 1 billion plastic straws per year. I think that number is unbelievable. Now, this chain, Starbucks, is one of a number of growing companies that are making a similar pledge. Alaska Airlines, Hilton, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, Canard Cruises, and the food service giant Bon Appetit Management are all committing to eliminating the use of straws. And last month, McDonald's announced that it would start testing plastic straw on alternatives. And statistically, we as Americans use an estimated 500 million single-use straws daily. So let's do something better for the planet and let's slurp instead of sip, don't you think? Email me. I'd love your thoughts. And I'm all for the straw removal movement. Jamie at chefjamie.com will get you to me. And oh, please don't touch your dial because we have a full plate this hour. Barbecue guru Stephen Reichlin is here, and we're grilling caveman style. And speaking of eco-friendly and giving back, Ashley Piper says that you should give a hoot. Wait till you hear about her lessons to make the planet better. They're just too easy. Stay tuned. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio doing what I love most, sharing delicious conversation. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're playing with fire today because grilling guru Stephen Reichlin is here. A James Beard award-winning New York Times best-selling author who is also the host of multiple acclaimed PBS cooking shows that we love. Stephen has shaped the country's fixation with live fire cooking, including his latest project called Project Smoke. 
Stephen's 31st cookbook is available now, entitled Project Fire, cutting-edge techniques and sizzling recipes from the caveman porterhouse to salt slab brownie s'mores. Yum. And my longtime friend Stephen Reichlin is here to dish, and I am very delighted. It's so nice to have you back. Hi, Stephen. Hi, it's great to be back. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay, after 31 books, seven TV series... Two decades of barbecue university classes, 60 countries and six continents traveled. What is new? What new insight can you share about grilling, please? My goodness, there <laughs> is so much new. There are new grills, uh, there yes. are new grilling techniques like cavemanning, there are new dishes, there are whole new meals that we never dreamt we could cook on the grill. For example, Project Fire opens with a chapter on grilled breakfast. I don't know about you, Jamie, but when I was coming of age and growing up, you never grilled breakfast. No, that's true. Nor did you grill dessert. But we have come a long way. I love this term cavemanning. Can you define it, please? Yeah. So cavemanning, you know, it's the world's oldest and most primal way of grilling. Uh, You uh, basically grill the meat or vegetables or seafood directly on the ember. And those those embers give you a, a char and a crust and a flavor profile that we've not seen as intensely uh, as, as way back when this cavemanning concept was created. Yeah, it's a very different flavor. You can yes. take the same T-bone steak, cook it on a conventional grill, uh-huh. even if you're working over charcoal, it would taste utterly different than if you lay it on the embers. And mm-hmm. I think what it has to do is there's, a surface charring, there's even a little bit of grit from the cinders that helps give you uh, extra flavor, completely different texture and taste. And I, and I love it. The cool factor is off the chart. Yeah, you know, that's true. When you when people watch you take a $90 steak and lay it on the embers <laughs> uh, directly on the coals, uh, it's, you know, shock, dismay, anxiety, and then finally giving way to incredible satisfaction. Yeah, barbecue hero worship at that point, right? right? (laughs) Um, The grilling world has always been a dichotomy to me, Stephen. It's a mix of high tech and old school today more than ever. And there are, right, there are these digital genius tools. There's the old school pellet smoker. Do you use a mix of equipment to sort of converge the old and the new? Well, I write about a mix of uh, equipment, and I certainly write about all the new digital tools, but I'm a pretty old-school guy. And I would say that, uh, you know, in terms of um, uh, I work with my hands, I work with my eyes, I love burning charcoal, I love burning wood. Uh, You're not going to find me sort of programming everything into my iPhone and setting (laughs) it and forgetting it. However, I'm also a pragmatist. And if this is what it takes to get readers and uh, and viewers grilling, you know, my, my goal is to get people grilling. So if that's what it takes, you know, I'm willing to go along with it. But me, I'm an old school smoke and fire guy. Yeah, and I like that about you. So let's talk old school for a minute, because I think wood chips might be considered somewhat old school today. And you, you talk about the debate as to whether to soak or not to soak. That is the question. The idea is you're using wood chips for smoking, not grilling, but in smoking. And uh, the soak school to which I adhere (laughs) holds that when you soak the chips, they are slower to catch fire. 
And it's that smoldering point, that's when the smoke is emitted from the wood chips. Now, if you put unsoaked wood chips on a charcoal fire, they're going to catch fire in a couple of minutes, and that's not going to give you very much smoke. Um, the other school which says don't smoke, uh, don't soak the chips, um, I'm not sure what the rationale is behind, but, uh, you, you know, they claim to be bolstered by science. Uh, I'd try, try a simple experiment. Light two charcoal fires and two uh, kettle grills. Uh, soak the chips in one grill. Don't soak the chips in the other. And, you you know, you can see with your eyes, you get much longer, uh, uh, smoother, more even smoke stream with soaked chips. Okay, so we're, we're still soaking. That's a good we're thing. We're still soaking. Yes. And how about smoker pouches? You talk about that in Project Fire. I do. Now, a, a, a smoker pouch, this is a, a sort of workaround for people who are working on gas grills. And it's, uh, gas grills, you know, the drawback of a gas grill has kind of been chronically difficult to smoke on a gas grill. So what you do is take, take your wood chips, you wrap them in an uh, aluminum foil pouch, you poke holes in the top with the probe of a thermometer, you place that under the grill grate directly over one of the burners. And that delivers a smoke flavor that you can actually see the smoke rising from the, uh, the, packet. the smoker pouch. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I'd say you get about maybe 30% of the smoke flavor on a gas grill than you will on a uh, charcoal grill. So, you know what, bottom line, if you can possibly, if you, even if you have a gas grill you love, you might want to invest in a charcoal grill for smoking because it's so much more effective. If, if you're truly committed, right? <laughs> I'm planning my Stephen Reichlin summer menu, and I want you to know it's starting with bacon grilled onion rings. Beautiful. Oh, my. And then your reverse seared tomahawk. And the tomahawk is all the rage. So if you would share some tips to grilling a tomahawk at home, I know many of us would appreciate it. Absolutely. So a tomahawk, first of all, is a rib steak where they've left the rib bone long. They haven't cut it off. So yeah, Flintstone steak. Very, Flintstone. Very dramatic looking. Yeah. Especially if you get a thick one. Now, a thick one, you know, can weigh upwards of a pound and a half. It can be upwards, of, you know, it can be two inches thick. So when you cook a steak like that, uh, it's hard to direct grill it all the way through. So I recommend a method called reverse searing. Now, what is reverse searing? Reverse searing, you, in effect, you indirect grill the steak, uh, with wood chips on the coals, so you're actually smoke roasting it, at a low temperature, let's say about 250 degrees, for about 40 minutes to raise the internal temperature of the steak to about 100 to 105 degrees. And then you take the steak off, you rest it, you build up your fire, you put it back in a direct grill configuration, that is the meat directly over uh, the blazing coals, Mm -hmm. and you Thank you again for more very genius grilling insight. And kudos to you, the 31st book from Stephen Reichlin, Better Than Ever. I love having you on the show, Stephen, and I hope to see you again soon. I know you're on the road, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you, thank you to talk. Well, thank you, and uh, wishing all your listeners happy grilling. Project Fire is Stephen Reichlin's newest 
cookbook release. It's a hunger-inducing collection of 100 innovative recipes for grilling everything using the power of fire to unlock bold, irresistible flavors. And it is available, of course, on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. Follow his new PBS series by the same name entitled Project Fire and follow Stephen to see his daily barbecue excursions. Stephen Reichlin, the grilling guru. There's more delicious conversation in your radio. Be right back. We're about to get fresh. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Summer is officially here, and so is the abundant, colorful, and full of flavor bevy of summer produce to sink your teeth into. From juicy watermelon to ripe sweet peaches and the incomparable lusciousness of a fresh lychee, Melissa's Produce has it all. If you're looking for fresh inspiration to enjoy the best of summer's bounty, well then this conversation is for you. When you think tasty, tangy, tart, sweet, and delicious, you think Melissa's, providing quality produce to chefs and restaurants and markets for over 25 years. I'm very proud and grateful to have Melissa's Produce as a supporter of this show since my inception 16 years ago on the radio, and their products just keep getting sweeter. So if you've yet to taste a Rambutan or are daunted by a melon pick this season, then you need to know Robert Schuler. He is our resident produce guru and the director of all things fresh and delicious for Melissa's World Variety Produce, and he's back to increase your fruit and veggie knowledge. Hi, Robert. Glad to have you. Thank you, Chef Jamie. Glad to be back. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, let's talk lychees. It's a good time to talk about lychees, right? Because I've been peeling them over the sink and the juice drips down my chin, and they are just succulent as ever. Yeah, it's uh, lychee season. Typically, the season is May until about August, September, and so this is the time to look for them. Yes. They're small, like the size of a ping-pong ball. They are red in color. You peel their leather-like skin. They're really easy to peel. Inside is a white, translucent flesh fruit where you pop in your mouth and you you spit out the seed. And that is how you enjoy the lychee. It is Uh. cousin to the rambutan. It's also cousin to the longan. But this is just a summer exotic fruit to enjoy. Yes, and and a subtropical one. And I think lychees used to be harder to get. Melissa's has made it easy, of course, but you're seeing fresh lychees from Melissa's everywhere now. And mind you, um, I always get a bevy of them from you. Like, like, I mean, enormously indulgent amounts. Uh, and I have to say, I, I mean, shamefully, but gratefully. And so what I've been doing, Robert, is peeling them and cutting a slit with a paring knife, taking the seed out and freezing them. IQF, individually quick frozen, right on a sheet pan. Mm-hmm. And then I'm using them as lychee ice cubes. 
So, yes, like the French do piscine de rosé, right? They put ice cubes in their rosé wine, which I'm all for during the hot summer months. I use the lychees instead. And then they sort of leach some of their flavor into the white wine or the rosé. And then they're totally boozy at the end. And it's like the greatest treat known to man when you're done with your glass of wine. Wow, how fun. I've seen the lychees also beat used by mixologists for a lychee teeny yes. as well. Yeah, delicious. And a beautiful pairing with vodka or gin. Um, and so delicious, eaten out of hand. Um, it's also summer grape season. So what you got? Um, well, yes, it's, it is now the California season that goes all summer long and through the early fall. And here are some of the best ones to look out for. Um, the Melissa's Moscato grapes, they come available red, green, and black. This is a what looks like a typical, you know, red, green, or black grape. Table grape. Um, without seeds. Right. That has the sweetness of like a Muscat dessert wine mixed with a typical grape, because that's what it looks like, a typical grape. And you, you have these grapes that are much sweeter than your average common grape. Mm-hmm. So look for them. They're called Moscato. Yeah, they're yummy. Another variety that is re- that is really enjoyed, especially not only with by uh, adults but kids, are those little champagne grapes. Mm. They're they're dark, like a black purple in color. The grapes are very small, um, which is very similar to the shape and size of the actual champagne grape they grow in Champagne, France. Mm-hmm. However, these are the table grapes, so they're not the same exact grape. You're not going to get the same experience from a sip of champagne with these. However, they've always been known as champagne grapes and available July and August. So you only have a few months to enjoy those. Yeah, and I love them. And I love them if you're putting out a cheese and charcuterie platter. uh, They're absolutely beautiful to adorn the platter. And then I've been known to grill grapes. You know that I love to put bunches of Melissa's grapes on the barbecue and give them a little char and warm them up and then serve them alongside chicken or pork. Uh, I happen to do that with figs as well, which are a hot topic. It seems that everyone is yearning for fresh figs, Robert, but that they're hard to find or the season is really short because when we get them, we savor them. And I grill those too. And then I crumble gorgonzola over the top. But right now the figs are sweet. Yes. And it, um, it, it, it usually figs start up in the springtime. However, as you know or not, figs are commercially grown in California. Well, what happened during the bloom during March is that California experienced their winter. They had more rain. It was cooler weather and whatnot. So that delayed the season to start in June. And so we, we, we now have them all summer long. And typically, you know, figs will be available through about October. The best tasting ones, because um, there are many varieties that are available to us, probably the best and most commonly available are the black mission figs, kind of a blackish brown on the outside, eats to a, a, a white to brownish flesh on the inside, and those are the smaller ones. Right. However, the one that, that's been popping up and, and just started up are the tiger striped figs. Those are the ones that are yellow in color. They have green stripes on them. And when you bite into the flesh, the, the flesh is whitish to a 
pink mm-hmm. color inside, and they're absolutely delicious. Yeah, they're so so delicious. I and I think the tiger stripe season is short, so we have to uh, search them out from Melissa's and eat them now because those happen to be my favorite and harder to find. Um, Robert, when does Hatch Chili season kick off this year? And is Hatch New Mexico growing onions now? Before the Hatch Chili season, there's another crop that is grown leading up to before the Hatch Chili season. And these are those Hatch Sweet Onions. This is the first year... Uh, Melissa has brought them commercially available outside of the Southwest to enjoy. So, you know, and this is the time for many different varieties of sweet onions, but I think you're going to really enjoy these hatch sweet onions that are available uh, spring and most of summertime. So look for them. Okay, and then before I let you go, we have to dish on the new Melissa's Drinking Coconut. Talk about innovation. It is fabulous. Is it available everywhere? Can it, can we all enjoy it? Because I am loving it. Yes. And, uh, Jamie, you're not alone. Uh, a lot of Americans are discovering uh, coconut water for the first time. Even though we've carried it through the length of our company, um, we've made it the easiest. You yes. no longer need a drill or a hammer or a screwdriver to open up this coconut. Um, they're from Thailand, so it's it's a very sweet coconut. Yes. And it comes with a straw, and there's a little pop-top. The pop-top is inserted on the coconut in the soft eye. The coconuts have three eyes to it. That's a standard thing if you didn't know coconuts. One of the eyes seems to be softer than the other too. And so that is where you'll find a pop-top, like, like a pop-top you would find on a can. Right. You pop it open, put the straw in that's on the package, and you're drinking the coconut as soon as you purchase it at your local produce department. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I like my coconut water cold, so I store them in the fridge. And yes. thank you, by the way, for the sneak peek, because I'm standing at the refrigerator and sipping and savoring. So I certainly appreciate that you keep me in wonderful produce, Robert. And I am ever grateful to have Melissa's as a supporter of this show. And I will say, I love your passion. I always have. There is so much fresh, wonderful produce, fruits and vegetables available this summer season. And when it comes to finding good local produce, it's a snap when it comes to Melissa's. So look for the Melissa's name when you want the season's best, or you can order your produce delivered directly to your door by going to melissas.com. And at chefjamie.com, you'll find the weekly Melissa's produce pick. So you're always sure what's fresh and in season, and you'll find a link to their website full of resourceful fruit and veggie info as well. Thank you, Robert, as always. We'll talk again soon. Cheers to summer. Thank you. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, there's lots more fabulous food, so you wouldn't dare touch your dial now, would you? Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Back after this.
your soul every weekend, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's time to put your good intentions into action. It's time to give a hoot about your health, your footprint, your planet. Because Ashley Piper says that good intentions are just that. But you actually have to act on your intentions to make things happen. Smart girl, right? Well, with the new book, Give a S-H-I-T, Do Good, Live Better, Save the Planet. Yes, it's called that, and I love it. Uh, Written by eco-friendly lifestyle expert Ashley Piper, it has never been easier to take action. Ashley is a political strategist turned journalist with a bachelor's degree from Brown University and a master's degree from the University of Oxford. She lives in Chicago with her shelter dog, but she is here to dish, and I am so happy you're here. Hi, Ashley. (laughs) Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, of course. Thank you. Uh, Okay, the book is fabulous. It really is. And I love that you are with great wit and some humor and tremendous passion. And so let's start with a conversation about recycling, please. It is not, it's not the magic pill, is it? Right. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not a magic pill. And I don't want people to come away from this thinking I shouldn't recycle or recycling's not helpful. But when we were growing up, I think a lot of us learned, you know, the three R's, the reduce, reuse, recycle. And so right. since recycling's the last part of that, we kind of see it as like this savior. Once something goes into the recycling system, it's no longer waste. It's automatically turned into something new. And what we forget is that one, recycling requires a lot of energy and a lot of resources. Um, two, many materials can't really effectively be recycled and re-recycled many times over. Paper is actually a good example of that. Paper only can really be recycled one more time into paper, and then thereafter it has to be something that's more like fibers, you know, like insulation, toilet paper, things like that. Hmm. Um, and three, we're just really not good at recycling, um, especially in the United States. So, Uh, The EPA estimates that 75% of what we toss out is recyclable, but about only 30% of our trash that is recyclable actually gets to be recycled. And a good indication of kind of us not being so great at it is if you go to a Starbucks or a place that generally has recycling and kind of trash side by side, if you look at the contents of both of those containers, it's pretty much the same. People don't seem to understand, or maybe they don't care all the time, what is actually recyclable and what goes straight to the landfill. It's part human error, but it's also just not something that's the end-all, be-all that's going to fix our planet. And I think that's something we need to be mindful of. There are a lot of lessons and tips and tricks to learn from you. And I love that you're about the application. So if we want to be environmentally friendly, what can we do to make change? Uh, are you meaning like what are some of the most potent changes yes. you can make? Yes, right. If it's, not the, if, start? if it's not the recycling bin, then what is it? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I think the number one thing, and it's, Uh, this may have some listeners groaning a little bit, but (laughs) is to reduce our reliance on animal products, on eating animal products. There was a really great study by the University of Oxford that came out early in June, uh, just last month, that said that it's the most positive thing you can do for the planet is Hmm. to move closer to a plant-based diet. Um, And we've actually seen studies longitudinal, credible studies from a variety of different sources that say that animal agriculture contributes to anywhere between 15% 
and 51% of harmful global emissions. So that puts animal agriculture above all of the transportation industries combined when it comes to messing up the planet. So reducing our reliance on that, and that could look like a lot of different things for a lot of different people. I'm not an all-or-nothing kind of person. I do think incremental changes make a huge difference. So that could just mean having a meatless lunch, you know, something really simple like that. So if people are looking for something that's going to pack a big wallop to help the planet, and it's pretty easy and pretty painless, I would say enjoying a few meat-free meals Mm -hmm. a week is a great place to start if you're generally like a really meaty eater. Right, and we're Um, we're really foodie people here, so one meal at a time, I can do that. Absolutely, and with the, you know, I mean, you're in, a lot of us live in areas where there are very, very beautiful vegetarian restaurants or, you know, Michelin star rated restaurants that have amazing plant forward yes. options. Yes. So it doesn't have to be like an exercise and sacrifice and deprivation. It can actually be really fun and still very gourmet and feel great. Um, so and be exciting. So yeah, I think it's a sure. pretty easy swap to make. And it's one that does truly make a huge difference. Which is good to know. The author, Ashley Piper, with two E's at the end of Ashley. You can learn more at ashleypiper.com. You can follow Ashley on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well under her own name. Um, And it might just make you feel good to give a S-H-I-T, right? Congratulations on the book, Ashley, and thank you for doing good. You are welcome here anytime. We will take your practical tips and your good intentions, and we will put them into action. Oh, Jamie, you're a dream. Thank you so much for making the time and for your interest. This has been a lot of fun. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of serious inspiration. I hope that I fed your soul and that you'll tune in every weekend. Of course, I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic discussion for the hour. Okay, I've been making this every day for the past week. And so you need to start making it so I can move on to another recipe. But I have mastered it. It's the ultimate molten chocolate cake in a mug. And it's guilt-free, gluten-free, low-carb, dairy-free, and sugar-free, and delicious, if I may say myself. And by the way, you're welcome. There's this beautiful lady on the internet who makes chocolate cake in a mug using her special formulaic uh, cocoa powder. And so I thought, well, I just have to master that my way. And so I created the ultimate molten chocolate cake in a mug using an egg and some stevia, a little bit of almond milk, baking powder, some coconut flour for that cocoa flavor, unsweetened cocoa powder, and a good square of dark chocolate. And in a minute and 30 seconds, just wait until you indulge. My guilt-free, gluten-free, low-carb, dairy-free, sugar-free, almost too good to be true, but it isn't. Ultimate Molten Chocolate Cake in a Mug is now posted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So check it out and let me know what you think. And please tune in next weekend to share at the kitchen table and in the delicious dialogue. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.